Hello, hello, and welcome to the We Ship It podcast. We are nearing October and spooky season, so we decided <laughs> to read a spooky tale. Yes, this episode is going to be on The Crucible. You know, John Proctor and Elizabeth, or Abby, or Elizabeth, or we're going to talk about that. And we have <laughs> a guest reader. Do we ship it? Listen to find out. Hey everyone, I'm Dev. And I'm Steph. And welcome to the We Ship It podcast, the podcast where Steph and I and the occasional guest reader get together and judge the best and worst relationships of literature, TV, movies, and of all time. Yes, indeed. And today we wanted to do something special and pick a story that gives us those spooky feels because, you know, it's almost October. Um, That kind of classic lit that makes you want to wear a comfy sweater and maybe make some tea and read all night long. Um, So, of course, we picked the classic The Crucible. There's a bit of a love triangle here, if that's what you want to call it. I don't know exactly what to call it um, in the story (laughs) between John Proctor and his wife, Elizabeth, and the girl that he sleeps with, Abigail. Yay. Um, so who do we ship? <clears throat> That's what we're going to talk about. Yes, and we have a guest reader to start off the month of October. Today, the crucible extraordinaire, Sandy Jameson, is here to join us to talk shop about our Puritan gang. Sandy is one of my fellow teacher friends and once my mentor in my student teaching years. We even had the opportunity to teach the crucible together and have worked hands-on with the tech several times since then. So it's truly amazing to have her join us. And I'm stoked to have her with us to share her thoughts, although I kind of already know where her true feelings lie for some of these characters. But we'll, we'll get to that shortly. Yes. Welcome to the show, Sandy. Welcome. Um, We're glad to have you here. Thank you for joining us. But before we hop in, I want to provide our every episode spoiler alert because we are going to be talking about major plot points. But seeing as this is a classic, I know many of you have already read this, especially in high school. That's when I last read it. If you haven't read it, it's a great way to start the spooky season, and it's also a great reminder of the importance of a sound justice system. So you'll be mad by the time you're finished (laughs) reading this. Um, But speaking of which, here is our brief summary. We start the play in the town of Salem with a pastor waiting in a room with his daughter who is unconscious. Uh, And Abigail is another member of the people in the room, and a number of other people are there too. The girl is said to have been possessed because... Her and the pastor's slave named Tichaba, Abigail, and others went out dancing naked and conjuring demons in the woods the night before. Eventually, to save their lives, quote-unquote, Abigail and a number of others start to say that they were made to do this by witches in their town. Because people were really like, why were you out there dancing naked? They're like, well, witches made us do it, of course. And they begin teaming up with the court having fits and sentencing women that they don't like to be hung for being a witch. The catch is if the townspeople are called to the court and they admit that they're witches, they live. If they don't confess, they're hung. So this is, this creates kind of a controversy, right? Why wouldn't you confess? Well, so you can clear your name. Um, A few townsfolk kind of confess and are set free if you are not and they're hung. 
John Proctor, who is our main man today, is a farmer who's married to Elizabeth and seven months prior slept with Abigail, the girl causing all this trouble. So he repented and he told Elizabeth, and but it still bothers them to this day. Abigail, however, pushes John to leave his wife all the time and John says no. So naturally, Abigail calls Elizabeth a witch. She calls her to the stand and the court believes this. <clears throat> Now, John trying to stand up for her also gets himself involved. The whole story is turned around on him, and they say he is a witch or a wizard. I don't know. I guess they're called wizards if they're guys. The play ends with John choosing not to confess, and he's hung. This is a cautionary tale of what can happen when due process is not followed, but there are also some interesting moments that um, I think it's important to discuss because they discuss in depth the importance of love between a husband and wife and also forgiveness. So these are some huge topics that we're going to be discussing today. So without further ado, let's start talking the crucible. So first question. How did Abigail and Elizabeth get to be the women they are when we first meet them? So, Sandy, I don't know if you want to start this one, or I can. No, I could go for it. Um, So, I think they're both products of their society, but I think they've had really different life experiences. I mean, obviously, Elizabeth's probably 20 years older than Abigail, but so Abigail, we know, is or her parents are dead, and She's living with her uncle. Um, and her uncle's a, a pastor. He's like the, the big man in the town, although not he's got his own sort of issues. So he can't mm-hmm. be a very fun household to live in. Uh, and after <laughs> she's a kid. So in Act 1, Abigail actually tells the girls um, in the, the scene where she threatens them, she says, I saw my dear parents' heads smashed against the pillow, and I've seen some reddish work done at night. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's really like, oh, my gosh. So something. Yeah, she's a creeper. I think, you know, we're, led, <laughs> we're led to believe that Abigail's parents not only are dead, but were killed in this really traumatic way. Mm-hmm. And she witnessed it. Mm-hmm. So It's very traumatic, you know, I'm sure. We don't know how old she was when this happened. But, you know, we can't deny that what happened to her is probably part of why she's so. Oh, 100%. Um, for sure. <laughs> she is. Whereas, you know, and Abigail was raised in this Puritan uh, society, but she's rebelling against it. And I think part of that just has to do with the fact that she's she's a teenager. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> when we meet Elizabeth, she's a married woman. She's got several children. And, and any of her wild girly days, as much as she could have had wild girly days in Puritan <laughs> society anyhow... Um, are long behind her. So we see Elizabeth as this good Christian woman, and she's just playing this role. That's what she's been expected to be. She probably had a very traditional family life. She went through, she was she was probably a, a, a maid uh, or a servant for a, a wealthy family and, and just kind of worked her way up and never had any drama. Mm-hmm. Probably. I mean, up until this point, I, I doubt Elizabeth's life had very much excitement in right. it. Um, right. For sure. I think the exact opposite. No. Yeah. And I think so. Something about Elizabeth. I adore this woman. Like, I've never felt more called to be an all forgiving, like good person than through 
her example. Um, and I'm not sure other than like kind of what you told us about much of her background, but I know she feels very cheated by John for most of the beginning of the book. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I think it's not in a malicious way. Rather, I feel that she kind of wants to help John get out of whatever murky situation he is in versus being like super jealous. Like there's obviously some form of jealousy there, but she doesn't share that same really, really naturally jealous nature as Abigail has within her. Um, so that's kind of where when I when I see Elizabeth first, that's where my thoughts are with her. Um, Abigail, yes, clearly something weird happened to this girl <laughs> before we met her. Uh, it... <laughs> It's tough to me because she is such a manipulative person from the moment that we meet her. You know, she's lying to the pastor who's asking her, were you in the woods dancing? No, I wasn't doing that. And then slowly we uncover the truth over time. I think Abby has a lot of fear within her. She's, you know, uneducated a little bit and she kind of fends for herself out of this natural fear that I just, I get she's afraid all the time and then she she speaks out and then she gets over it gets over dramatized whatever it is that she gets involved in and she can tend to over dramatize those things when she becomes the center of attention she loves being the center of attention <laughs> and she also really really when she is fearing for her life she acts like an animal that's in danger oh, yeah. like she'll she'll fight for her life if it costs anyone else's life even the guy that she claims to love which is John mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's interesting. And I think we get even more background on Abigail, which we're going to talk more later with that secret extra scene that we get at the end. Um, and that's what act two scene two, it's like not really Mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. it, but you get it after the story. And basically I wanted to quote the last line of it because I thought it was really an interesting thing. Oh, how hard it is when pretense falls, but it falls, it falls. You have done your duty by her. I hope it is your last hypocrisy. I pray you will come again with sweeter news for me. I know you will now that your duty's done. Good night, John. Fear not. I will save you tomorrow. From yourself, I will save you. She seems to have this idea that she knows better than him. And I think she just gets these fantasies all twirled up in her head. And she's very selfish. I don't know. But that's all I really have to say about Abby. I don't know, Devin. <laughs> do you have anything else? Because I know you have some opinions on this girl. Uh, Abby's the worst. <laughs> I don't know who I hate more. And I always come to this conclusion. Like, do I hate Abby more or do I hate Paris more I like I just right I always I'm like okay what's it gonna be today how am I gonna feel because these two are just terrible um, I know I mean she tells lies she manipulates her friends and the entire town and she eventually sends 19 yep. innocent people to their death like she's such a sweet girl right <laughs> yeah such a sweet girl mm. um but what I find it so interesting is that she um She's powerless in her Puritan societal realm. Um, and her, she is, and so are her friends, and so are other people like her. Um, mm-hmm. She's an orphan and unmarried, so she has nothing to her name. So when the hysteria of the town pulls the reins into her favor, she grabs a hold and runs with it, and she kind of yep. gets drunk with power. Yes, she does. Did you have something to add, Sandy? I was, I was just going to comment on uh, on Paris, on on Paris versus Abigail, and I know Paris isn't the like the topic of our conversation, but right. I feel like I have more sympathy for Abigail than I do for Paris. Hmm. Really, I, I more so sympathy too, for Abigail. I I do. I, look, I think Abigail's 
uh, behaviors are despicable. But I think, like like you said, Stephanie, she's acting out of fear, and, and mm-hmm. she is she has learned that she has to take care of herself mm-hmm. in life. That's very and, true. And what Devin said about her grasping this power because it's this one opportunity for her, whereas Paris is like vain and selfish. Like his daughter's lying on the bed and his reaction is the people will talk. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what? And and whenever anybody tries to to see reason, Abigail, we can understand she's trying to save her butt. Don't dirty right? my name. <laughs> Paris is just trying to to throw power around mm-hmm. and you know, well I'm the minister and He's trying to save his name too, but not, yeah, I don't know. It's not as for I can't stand that guy either. And his little thing with John Proctor, I'm like, bro, get over yourself, <laughs> man. You're such a little man. Like, just do the right thing. But anyway, we could go right. on ranting about Paris <laughs> forever. Um, the second question we have, <clears throat> and I love this question. What do these three characters symbolically represent? And does that represent does that representation apply to their relationships? So I'll kind of walk through them a bit. Um, for me, John is the full on sinner who is in need of repentance and mercy. Um, his name, like Proctor, even means steward or charged with the care of something. Um, Mm -hmm. So John bears his sin of adultery on his shoulders and the weight crushes him at times and it tears at the marriage with um, with his marriage with Elizabeth. So he puts it (laughs) on his shoulders and he's such I don't know if I admire him for this or I don't know how I feel really (laughs) about it because he's just he just takes all the weight on his shoulders and it's hard to see when he goes um, through as the play progresses, Um, whereas Elizabeth is often titled with the name Goody Proctor, um, or mm-hmm. Good Steward in the play. So she strives to be the best in character for her and her family. Um, Elizabeth would do anything, even lie in court, and we'll get to that later, um, if it means for her to be the best wife for John. Lastly, we have Abigail, and Abigail is, is a deceiver, um, and she exudes this from herself. Her mission is to tear Elizabeth down and have her suffer at the hands of the government and eventually replace her role as a wife of John. Like, what <laughs> kind of girl does this? Oh, my gosh. Can't um, stand her. And I think this mission, I dare say, might even become an obsession. Crazy to think that, I know, but, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah. What do you think, Sandy? So, I think whenever I, I kind of teach the play, I introduce sort of, the background of of Puritanism and Mm -hmm. Salem. And and one thing we always talk about is how, you know, this is a new world. Uh, This is a a new to them anyhow. And they've come over here and it's a really harsh reality they live in. They have, you know, they don't, they're not living with zoom, (laughs) you know, (laughs) they're not living with heat and, you know, they've got, they're in fear of the unknown. Every day is a fight for their lives. Mm -hmm. And, so I, I talk about how, um, and I don't know, one of my college professors probably like told me this, and I was like, oh, yes, I will remember that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, this was a time of, like, huge social upheaval for mm-hmm. these people. Um, they, they've set up this community. They've set mm-hmm. up this theocracy. Um, but 
the world is changing. They're in a new place. And so, so partly what's happening here is these people reacting to a shift in their world and in their lives. And so I view Abigail as symbolic of chaos, the chaos that is, is in their <laughs> lives, the weather that they're at the whims of, the uh, conflicts with the Native Americans, mm-hmm. the, you know, the church versus secular um, notions, that kind of thing. Whereas Elizabeth is all about the stability. Yes. Mm-hmm. She is the, the steadfast, the serious, the faithful, and so you've got Elizabeth and Abigail on these two polar opposites of chaos and stability. And, and I feel like John Proctor is the one caught in the middle, not just literally. Of, you know of what Abigail. you just made me think of? Like one of those weight things, like Abigail's yeah. on one side and uh, Elizabeth's on the other. Yeah. And John's like the one that's like holding them up, like trying to make this balance <laughs> on his shoulders. <laughs> you know, and I don't think John wants, to, like, I don't think John at oh, any point never. ever really wants Abigail. No, oh, yeah. Has to be said. <laughs> but, but he is caught sort of emotionally in the, in sort of the, 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 the pull between the chaos and the stability. Yeah. If, even if he's not pulled literally between mm-hmm. Abigail and, and Elizabeth, you know, he doesn't like Paris. He doesn't mm-hmm. think that he needs to be in church every um, day of the week. He's certainly not as heathen as Abigail, but but he's definitely not as faithful, not as committed. And so, and John struggles with that. Like, that's his whole internal battle. Am I a good person or not? And so I think he really functions as the the one trying to answer the question of, of yep. who are we and what do we want to be? Yeah, I love this. Okay, I had a completely different interpretation of this question. <laughs> so let me know. Um, I'm going to just run through it and let me know if I'm completely ridiculous or what you think. <laughs> but when I thought of this <clears throat> and I saw these three characters, I, to me, I saw Elizabeth as representing truth and faith. And I saw John as representing justice. And Abby, she was chaos, but she was the thorn that got in the way of the marriage of truth and justice. So Mm. what happened whenever Abby was sort of throwing some ball in here, like she was trying to get Elizabeth thrown in jail or John thrown in jail. Also the way that she seduced John. These are all ways that chaotic, these chaotic sins can get in the way of the absolute uh, perfection of truth and the absolute perfection of justice. Um, that's what I really was thinking of because it's, you know, Abigail is the thorn. She is lust. She is jealousy. She is sin basically. And that's why her nature tears truth and justice apart. And that's why when I saw their relationship being torn apart, I was like, well, these are two pillar two pillar philosophies that are just being like torn apart by human nature, which is Abby. And um, I don't know if that's crazy or not, but that's what I was thinking of when I was reading these characters. I think that's really profound. I think like, that's yeah, I don't think it's crazy at all. We're, we're done here. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. And that is why the crucible rocks. I love the crucible. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Devin, next right, question. Next one. Moving on. Based on the tone of the opening of Act 2, how can the audience perceive what the relationship between John and Elizabeth has been like for some time? Ooh, I mean, <laughs> they got issues, right? They got it's issues. It's an icebox. 
it is it is it's very um chilly <laughs> it's yeah. very strained but also like reasonably so you yeah know? i don't blame her <laughs> they you know obviously he did something stupid right and they're trying to figure out how to move forward with all of this resentment in the room with yeah, them. I and, love and I love when John says it's like winter in here. <laughs> like, oh, yes. <laughs> He's got some funny lines and uh, so does she, man. Elizabeth, your justice would freeze right. <laughs> Yes, yes. I read that to Tom and he laughed for a solid ten minutes about it. I was just like, this is great. I love this humor here. Um yeah. But yeah, they're broken. But go ahead. I just think, like, you know, they don't have any options. Like, this is Puritan Salem. It's not like they can get divorced. Right. <laughs> um, you know, they're kind of stuck. And they're, they're, I think John already, you know, he's already feeling his guilt. And Elizabeth is, thinks he should be feeling his guilt. And, and mm-hmm. she's not going to let him off the hook for any of that. Mm-hmm. Um. <sighs> You know, Elizabeth's really put in a bad spot here because, like, not only, like, is she having these relationships with issues with John, but she's lost her servant. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and now, of course, they have Mary Warren and all that jazz. So maybe my train of thinking here wasn't going in the right direction. I just find it, like, I applaud her in the sense that she tries to make the best of it. Um, she still has these feelings. Like, she still has trust issues, understandably so. Um, and she's put up against walls against John. Um, and he tries to make these moments to try and loosen her up, to try and get her to defreeze in a sense, um, like kissing her. And um, But even then, she still doesn't accept it in a lovingly because, manner. Because it's all fake. Yeah. yeah. Like, remember when he first comes in at the beginning of that scene in the stage directions they're like he's, there's soup on the fire and he, he tastes, tastes it and puts he salt is not in or quite something. pleased yeah, <laughs> right. so, I don't I don't know John is he's equally to blame here I, oh I have trouble with him mm-hmm. <laughs> but they so something that you guys kind of explained there's mistrust here there is just a fog of all this weird stuff going on so they can't live in a realistic way but I think the two of them have trouble communicating particularly in this scene and the reason is that they speak to each other but kind of over each other and don't really get anywhere with it so you know John says, spare me, you forget nothing and you forgive nothing. And Elizabeth's like, John, you're not open with me. There was no like admission of either of the guilt there. I think they miss each other with each insult is hur- that's hurled at the other person. And the quote I was looking for that I love so much is Elizabeth's response to this is, I don't judge you. The magistrate that sits in your heart judges you. What a freaking line that is. John is in himself struggling to get over what he's done and she's like listen i'm here to help you if you'll just talk to me and freaking be honest (laughs) with me and not like and not just treat me like this this cold burden and i i don't know i don't know who's necessarily to blame for it but the two of them are hung up on this and they cannot move on Mm -hmm. at least not in the beginning what i'm thinking though this just came to me while you guys were, were talking i wonder if I wonder what the relationship has been since the affair up until now. Because I wonder mm-hmm. if the reason she is so cold with him right now is because she's literally 
just heard that he was in town and he was right. with Abigail. Right. So it's like Could maybe be that. she like wants to like try to work through this, but like nope, you just went and did it again, didn't yep. you? Yep. <laughs> and Could now be you're lying about it. Like I'm wondering if what we're seeing here is a fresh, a freshly ripped off scab that is oh, making yeah. this scene a little bit more strained than. I think maybe. And I mean, how could she trust him to say, oh, did you go to Salem? No, I didn't go to Salem. But I know you went to Salem. Oh, yeah, curses. I went, but not for that reason. (laughs) It's like, dude, just come on. Be be for just tell her what what's going on. You've already messed up. Why make it worse? (laughs) I know. I'm like, John, bro. But moving on, because literally I don't want to get into a rage about why I don't like John (laughs) Proctor because I like him, too. There are different reasons. Okay, question four. Was the oh oh no here we go yeah we kind of keep going in it again <laughs> oh boy Devin's sitting there smiling because he knows I'm gonna rage this next question <laughs> and he knows he's gonna disagree with me we'll see was the affair with Abigail solely on John's shoulders or did Elizabeth have a role in that as well and Devin I know what you're gonna say <laughs> I'm gonna smack you right in the face I don't know what you're talking go about ahead. talk it out. Oh, I actually, I don't know how Devin feels about this. And I don't know how you feel about it. So, um, oh, this is wholly on, wholly on John. (laughs) Wholly John. I'm with you. Elizabeth, I mean, she does take some of the burden on herself later on. But I don't believe any of that. Sorry. Like, John gave in to temptation. And he was stupid. And it's not Elizabeth's fault. Yep, this may be some of my inner feminist coming out, but a hundred freaking percent, Devin. Why don't you go ahead and uh, what's so your opinion? I don't, I don't know exactly what prompted John to literally dance with the devil, but like any affair, I have to assume, I have to assume that it was like a two-way street in a sense. Like there had to be some reason someone as noble and just as John would become weak and turn away from his loving wife for a moment of joy with the town sleaze. Um, like I just don't know what listen Devin I'm hopping in here right now I place the blame on John Elizabeth says at one point at the end I think it is you mentioned Sandy she goes John I was cold or she was apologizing for being cold to him and that's why you went astray or whatever but ultimately it was John who went out looking for trouble he could have said no no at any time absolutely Uh, and so you know it's John who has the blame and Elizabeth is even so good natured as to take him back which I know mm, was sort of true. expected at the time, you know, Puritans, mm-hmm, whatever. Mm-hmm. But still, she treats him with more grace than I think most women would. E- women would even at that time. Like, sure, I'll take you into my house, but I'm never speaking to you again, sort of thing. That's where <laughs> I'd be. I sure as heck wouldn't accept it. You make but, your own food. Um, that's the thing. I think Elizabeth is pretty much a saint because this is something that she she's willing to forgive him for. Uh, this is John's fault. Now, I love John's response at the end when he he fulfills the justice of, no, I'm not a wizard. You can hang me for it. Um, it shows strength of character. That's why it makes this fault in him, this original fault, this lust, this sin that he originally went through, um, it makes it hard for me to accept as mm-hmm. a reader. But he is human, and we have to realize that even sometimes justice falters and humans yes, struggle with this sort indeed. of thing. Um, but as much as, you know, he deserves some kind of forgiveness, I just don't know if he deserves Elizabeth's forgiveness. <laughs> <laughs> 
Sorry, Devin. I'm so passionate I'm not, I, about this question. No, it's fine. I, I agree. I just, I don't know exactly what was going on in the relationship that That's would have true. caused him to do so. But I, right. it's his own fault. <laughs> it's all yeah. him. I mean, they're middle-aged and they right. got a couple of kids and mm-hmm. get to that age. they're in this really repressive society and He needs some Abigail. spice in his life. Just a little bit too much cayenne with that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, too Abigail spicy. manages Yeah, well, Abigail manages to manipulate an entire court of supposed justices. <laughs> yes. So I can imagine she's a bit of a seductress in other ways, too. I'm sure. And I'm, sure. I'm telling you, like, it, it may have just been that, but John had a weak moment mm-hmm. no matter what. Mm-hmm. All right, we're moving on. Definitely. So. <laughs> like, leave this. It's time. <laughs> All right, so describe the difference between John's relationship with Abby and Elizabeth, and what kind of love is presented in each. <laughs> I find it hard to believe that there's any love in either of them. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like... I, I don't know that in Puritan times relationships would have been based on love. That is true. So much true. as convenience and mm-hmm. necessity and stability. Like yep. I don't know. I mean, I guess I've never studied that. I'm sure there are people who do know. <laughs> but you don't see John and Elizabeth being very loving until it's threatened. That's true. And then they like they sort of go to defend each other pretty hard but you don't i don't know maybe it's just that we didn't see them prior to this i think that's the one thing that i struggle in their relationship with. that's one thing that i definitely struggle yeah. with is i i never you never see them as a unified together we're going to mm-hmm. combat this i mean they have their moments where they are mm-hmm. trying to make something happen mm-hmm. but there's never a moment of like we're in this together and we're going to make this happen because of I our think- love I think you're right. I think this story wasn't really meant to be oh, it's a not meant to be a love story. <laughs> totally of a relationship. It's not a love story. But I think that obviously his relationship with Abby's all lust. But I think Elizabeth is more like his light, like someone he like hopes mm. to be. Because at the end, when they're like, Oh, will she be true? Will she be honest? He without a doubt is like, She is the most honest person I know. She will tell the truth. And I think it shows if not yeah and then she freaking lies but um, I think if not like romantic love he has like this respect for Elizabeth and like when people try and come and take her he's got this like protective Mm -hmm. like no you can't take her he rips up the whatever it's called um, what is it that they come and yes he rips it up and he's like nah you can't take her I think that he has like a natural husband like protective nature of her I don't know if I'd call it romantic love though yeah I do appreciate that they try to work through the ugliness of marriage together Mm -hmm. and they want to mend their relationship just um, and it's not just for themselves but it's also for their growing family they want to be regardless of whether or not they love each other like they still want to be unified for their family and to um, be that relationship be that role model for their family as well um and i mean something had to happen because she's pregnant in the end of this so (laughs) (laughs) okay did you also read that she gets married four years later to someone Mm -hmm. else there's like a little i forgot to read it when i first read it it's like a little section that's not part of the play Mm -hmm. it's just sort of an after Mm -hmm. and it's like 
she got married four years later, which doesn't mm-hmm. ultimately mean she didn't love John at all. Right. Like, obviously, he's gone. But it's interesting that they that he included, oh, Elizabeth got married right. four years mm-hmm. later. Like, that's an interesting detail. As well. when, whenever I teach this, I make sure to read that to my kids. Like, that, you mm-hmm. know, you get this really dramatic ending. And, like, yeah. you're all sitting there in silence. And then I'm like, oh, but wait. <laughs> There's, There's more. more. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, you've got that poetic justice of, of what happens to Abigail. Oh, yeah. And they're like, yeah. <laughs> you know, Abigail turned up. Rumor has it that... Uh, uh, years later, Abigail turned up as a prostitute in Boston, and they're like, yeah, I knew it. Abigail. <laughs> we just know. Um, but yes, okay. Now, I want to talk about this scene we talked about before a little bit, but very briefly. Some readers or audience members are not aware of the secret act two, scene mm-hmm. two, as some texts included as an appendix and some theater productions choose to not include it. But what does this scene add to the text? Is it necessary? What does it do for John and Abby's relationship? I wouldn't really claim that it's necessary, but boy, is it juicy. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I'm actually, I'm not super familiar with this. I think I saw a production of it once that included it and i remember mm-hmm. being like oh this is new like i knew it existed right. but i never right. really paid attention to it but i read it a little bit ago and i i was reading the the critical edition that i have here in front of me has a like a note about it afterwards mm-hmm. and they talked about how arthur miller added this scene um towards the end of its broadway run and since then it's been played both ways um, the the editor here says, to me, it's obvious it should introduce Act 3. For a brief scene tacked on at the end of Act 2, um, would milk away the dramatic force of Proctor's slow build to a commitment to fight the court and the rhetoric about God's icy wind in which, with which he crowns his decision. Um, but then Miller, it says, and this is what interested me, Miller wrote a second version of the insert scene for Laurence Olivier's production of the play at the Old Vic. And Olivier really, really loved it at first, but then even though he was like really enthusiastic, he dropped it. And he said, because he said, you know, you don't really need it. You know, it's nice you get this expanded view of of the characters, but putting it in there destroys the tempo um, mm-hmm. that that started the play. And you end with this really powerful Act Two moment where with, with John saying, "Yes, I'm going to go and take down that court," and to to put this scene in there is it disrupts that momentum yeah. and that flow. But that said, it's so rich with with getting this feel for who Abigail is mm-hmm. and who John is and what they're trying to do. It's like, man, what a that monologue that Abigail has, like that's like an actress's dream right there. <laughs> I know, I so, know. I just love that she shows up in her nightgown with her hair down and ooh la <laughs> la and a blanket oh, around her Abigail. shoulders and she thinks she knows where this meeting is going. She's like, oh yeah, this is happening. And she's dead wrong. He's like, no, I'm coming for you and you better yeah. watch out. <laughs> it's so dramatic. And you know what? So when I read this scene after just having finished the play and I was like, I had all this rage this rage for justice in me. Then I read this scene. It made it less mysterious to me. So I don't know if you guys get this sense too. And I think this might be the reason it's left out sometimes. But um, there are some points in the play where you're kind of like, 
Okay, it's pretty obvious that Abigail and these girls are faking it, but you get like this eerie feeling that maybe something weird is going on. And like, I feel like this scene makes it so, so like way too obvious that like she's completely lying. Oh, she's and that's why it's a huge thing. Yeah, that she's delusional <laughs> she and she's calls doing it for a the reason. Angel of Salem, and she's yeah, here to rescue yes. their souls. Like, oh my God. It like takes away the mystery of like why Abby does go through with this mm-hmm. if it's not like from some sort of demon or mystified thing within her. Like, I don't know. But that's kind of why I was like, I don't know. But I think the scene also humanizes her a bit because I don't know. It like you can see that she's really fearful when John's like yelling at her and stuff. But it also gives her intent. It it has her admit her intent behind that's these true. things. And that's why I thought it was a really interesting scene. I honestly think the play, like you were saying, Sandy, I agree. I think the play tempo is put off by it. And that's why I liked reading it at the end as sort of like a, ooh, this is what happened and you missed it. Like, I feel like we, I don't know. I'm struggling with this. Cause like, this is my, my least, um, the part of the play that I'm least confident Familiar on, with, right? Cause, yeah. cause right. I, I don't know it well, but when I read it, Abigail seems to be all in on this, this Ready. is really happening. <laughs> oh <here>. yeah. <laughs> Whereas, you know, you're right. I think that, that there's other parts in the play where we can be like, oh, they've got to know they're lying, you know? Right, right. But you would think in this moment with John, she, especially because she thinks she knows where this is going, she would be honest with him. Yeah. But she doubles down, you know? Yeah. She says, um... Your wife uh, keeps stabbing my, me. Why look at <laughs> yeah. my leg? I'm holes all over from their damned needles and pins. They jab your wife gave me is not healed yet. And I mean, Proctor, the, the, the stage direction here is Proctor seeing her madness now. Mm-hmm. He sees her true it, colors. <laughs> he sees that she believes this. Mm-hmm. And I think that, yeah. that's part of the hysteria of the whole situation with these girls. I mean, to some point, they did believe this was happening. It wasn't from the beginning. It wasn't just a plot to take down the wife of the man you want. It was Mm -hmm. they believed this. And that was how, you know, psychosomatically these things could happen to them in court that they that they truly were having these physical symptoms of. And I think Proctor's like, I feel sorry for you. But then... On the third page <laughs> is where Abigail freaks out. Oh yeah, and you know he, she, she says that he is the only good in the world because he taught her goodness. Gross. Um, it were a fire you walked me through, and Gross. all my ignorance was burned away. Or were a fire, John. We lay in fire. Oh I my mean, gosh. Yes. Yeah, she's, she's a little deluded. Uh, a little I dramatic, mean, huh? Low cry cry. Low cry cry. Just a little bit. I, I love Abigail. <laughs> I know. What a character. <laughs> All right. Moving forward. Why does Elizabeth lie in court and should she have lied knowing the consequences of it wow. all? She didn't know the consequences. I know. But you know that, like, if you lie in court, like, something is going to happen. Ah, uh, I have trouble because she lies, obviously, to save John. There was, I guess she maybe assumes Abigail was the one who made this claim um, and believes it's more of like a personal matter, something maybe John should 
be the one to admit and not her. I wish she didn't do this though, because I believe it's the one moment we see Elizabeth falter. It is the one moment in the entire play. And I think she was the closest character to a perfect character. Obviously that's not really, we're human. So it's not really the way that it goes usually, but it just makes me sad because she's truth. And this moment, you see one little lie, how it can ruin literally everything. Oh yeah. Like she is the reason that John hung ultimately. Like obviously if he never got there, if he was never accused, but her lie is what sends him to the gallows. And it's just like, Man, it it ah, uh, I don't know. I just wish she was honest because he's like she's always honest, and then she wasn't honest. I don't know. I feel like she part of her lie was was to save John's was was trying to save John, but I feel like it was really about his reputation and, and mm. doing the right thing for him and his like his self image because she knows that he feels guilty right and she knows that that this sin is the one thing that eats away at him yep and for her to come out in public and say yes my husband is a mm-hmm. sleaze bag sort of shameful it, it's shameful and i feel like she know she she thinks because she doesn't know the reality that he's already admitted it she thinks that by doing that, she's going to be betraying him. Mm-hmm. I think here right. we see her really trying to to be the good wife. Right. And it I think could that's also what, be. So, sorry. That, that's just what um, so, it, I think is so traumatic about it. Yeah. It could also be her moment of like, I'm coming to terms with this and I'm finally granting you forgiveness i'm moving on yeah i've been i've been holding this Mm. against you for so long that this is my moment that like i'm let like it's okay i'm letting it go that would be interesting because it would be her forgiveness and then his ultimate like penance okay next question do you think elizabeth still loves john after everything they've been through i think so um, I mean, she even goes to jail and even in jail expresses her love for John um, by, and through her lie. And uh, she will go to the death protecting the man that she loves. Um, and her heart is just so strong. Even through all the hills and valleys, she has maintained herself true to John. Um, she has forgiven him. Um, she's allowed him back into her life. And yes, she was hurt and her heart turned cold but for good reason. And she still loves the man uh, who is the father of her children. Mm. And she comes flat out and forgives John and asks for forgiveness for her green eyes. Um, I think that moment when they are both in the jail together, when they're allowed to be together, I think that's just such an honest and that's the moment where we actually do get to see like, what could like, what were they before all this um, hysteria went into the town. Mm-hmm. Um, we get this moment where they're like very honest and just true with each other. I I appreciate that. I think that's really cool. Mm. I think they. I think probably at the end there is where we actually most see their love for each yeah. other. Yeah. I'm wondering, and you know, we talked before about how it was it never really came across as a real romantic love between them. But mm-hmm. right, like I feel like this experience has bonded them. Yeah. Especially, I think her knowing that she 
in, through her lie in the courtroom <laughs> is the cause of it all <laughs> that she is it, it is now her fault mm-hmm. to some degree i mean obviously he still has choices to make in act four but um i i think this trauma that they've both just been through has bonded them together in a way that probably wouldn't have happened if they had just been going about their daily lives you know right farm in the fields and so <laughs> Uh, and yeah, that scene is very powerful. We we do see them be like honest and loving, and you know when when John says that you know he puts his hands on her stomach and says the child, and she said it grows. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, you know, and just her actions, kind of at the end of the play when it comes to his confession and and whatnot. I think they finally do show that they truly care about each other. I, again, I tend to bring up. Like, and I, I probably won't even include what I say here, but, um, I, I, the only clue that I have that it's possible that like, there's any indication of how she still feels for him. I think so for one, I found it interesting, like we said before that she gets married again, but I don't think that means anything about how she feels about John in general. I think she has a great deal of respect for him. Um, and she was with him until the very end. And I think they forgave each other before the very end. So whether or not that means that she still loves him, because we haven't even determined whether or not they really did love each other, like you said, I think at the very least she returns to whatever it was before he cheated on her, whether or not that be love or just their marital being together. Mm-hmm. Like, I think she forgives him for whatever happened. So. That's where I'm at with that one. (laughs) All right. And with that, next, um, should Elizabeth have done more at the end of the play? Um, How can she just let her husband die like this? Uh, No, I don't think Elizabeth, I don't think it's in her nature um, to, I, I just think like naturally Elizabeth is going to respect the truth and justice that John is putting into this. Obviously, as an imperfect person, I would have been like, yeah, no, just confess and come home. Like, this is craziness. But I think it shows true bravery on her part and on his part and true self-sacrifice on both of their parts that she went along with whatever he felt called to do. Right. Because she can't begrudge him his good name. It's a choice he has to make. Because if she tells him, no, you have to live, imagine what he's going to keep on her for the rest of her life. Like, oh, well, I did this for you. My name has been besmirched for because you and the family wanted me to live. And I think it's even more self-sacrificing because the girl is pregnant. She's expecting to bring a life into the child, a life into the world. And the guy who's supposed to help her with it is about to be hung. Like, that is a hugely brave act in the face of this like tyranny and injustice. And that's why I think, no, she should not have done anything differently as like a whole good, just person. Now, like I said before, if it were me, (laughs) I would not be whole good and just probably because it's hard to imagine being in that situation anyway. Um, What do you guys think? Um, I think, I have mixed feelings. Um, I think what she did was honorable, and I think what it's what John wanted. Um, however, I'm still uncomfortable with the ending, and I guess that's the point of it all. But while John dies for a quote unquote good reason, he should not have she he should not have to die in this manner. Like it's not, it wasn't meant to happen. This wasn't in his cards. Like this is just the town going um, like crazy. Um, and I want her to do something more. I want her to do something to wake him up, 
but there's no changing his mind as he wouldn't live with the alternative. He wouldn't be able, he couldn't live. There's no way he'd be able to live with the alternative here. Um, so I don't know. Like, it's just, I have mixed feelings. I, I'm, I'm with Stephanie. I, I don't, I mean, it's sad. Yes. But I don't think Elizabeth could have done anymore. And I don't think she should have done anymore because John right. as a character was so tortured. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, we see the torture and his going back and forth on whether to make the confession or not. And he says, um, I have three children. How may I teach them to walk like men in the world? And I sold my friends. Oh. I don't think John w- wants to live no. with adding another sin. Correct. He says, God has seen my name. God knows how black my sins are. Um Hmm. I I just feel like he, he and he would continue to carry he, around that guilt for eternity. Yes, mm-hmm. and it would be it would be um, a reminder exponentially worse now that he's adding this sin of lying mm-hmm. on top of the sin of lechery that he's committed. And Elizabeth, I I feel like Elizabeth knows him well enough and respects him enough to say no. I will not let him live like that. Not even just like what he would you know hold over her but although i think that's a valid point i think she just knows he is better off dying and regaining his self-conception as a good man than than living with this sin on his conscience i think she knows him well enough to know that 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 would not be good because we saw right. what he went through when he was living with the sin on his conscience. We saw that he was not able to be a good, a really good husband to her while mm-hmm. it was still on him. So I think him making this choice really does, like, in a sense, bring him back to him himself, bring him back to his self-worth and to, a, to the place of being a good man. So I love that. Thank you. That was a really insightful point. Um, now I have the pleasure of asking our last <laughs> question that we ask every episode. Do we ship it? Or the question is, who do we ship? If anyone, God, this is such a tough question. <laughs> <laughs> and it's usually like the easiest one for us, but I don't know. <laughs> it, I don't know either. So here's the thing. I left this question blank. I didn't know how I was going to respond to it. I'm going to say to you now, given the circumstances of the Puritan ideal and the Puritan society and everything that went down in this crazy place, I'm going to say that I ship John and Elizabeth. I'm going to go ahead and say it because I don't necessarily mean this is the most passionate romantic (laughs) love that I have ever seen. What I mean is I think with everything, after everything they went through and the way that it ends, I'm going to say that Elizabeth and John were good for each other in that they made each other good in the end. I think Abigail is not even a question in anyone's mind. No. Here. No. <laughs> no. I, don't, I don't know who I would ship Abigail with. Um, <laughs> Herself somewhere in Boston. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just go yes. No, I, uh, agree. I agree with that. I think by the end of the play, I think we do see John and Elizabeth having an admirable relationship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the sort of the, the trust in each other and understanding of each other, I think, is something worth... Um, worth shipping definitely yep there you go i said yes as well because i think their marriage is a struggle bus and they grab a hold of that wheel and ride through the rough terrain together like 
they're in it together <laughs> and it's pretty it's not pretty um and we don't always see the beautiful moments of this marriage but i think they have them i th- i mean i believe they had pretty moments even though like mm-hmm. the constraints of the society and that kind of thing but like i think they had those moments together and um i think each of them would do know that they would do anything for the other um and they aren't my couple of choice, but they do have an honest <laughs> marriage. Bruises and all. Like, they're yeah. willing to show their marriage as it is, um, which makes them so special. Like, yep. I don't think there's a single couple in Salem that, no. that no. I can't oh, no. Like, even, I mean, the nurses, maybe. But definitely yeah. not the Corys, definitely not the Putnams. Um, yeah, let's just leave Salem as the weird <laughs> little society over here. We're not going to touch that. <laughs> like, oh, but yeah. So as I figured, we've ended this episode at a really unsettling point because this text is unsettling. Like, I think that that's something about the crucible that always sticks out to me is how impassioned I feel to do something that I don't know what it is. Like I watch this guy go through struggling through injustice and I'm like, I need to fight for justice. But I'm also like, I see so many aspects of our world today that still are not correctly just. And we've learned from Salem, but there are still aspects of Salem in our culture now. So I think it's important that we talk about this, even if it is just a a spooky read for October. It's also just like so important. And like, I think that the relationships are so important, whether or not it's like, I ship it, you know, (laughs) like it's also just a really fun thing to talk about. So thanks for talking. I know. I appreciate this because I'm actually starting the crucible next week. (laughs) There you go. So this is like prep work for me. To your students gets me inspired to go teach them all. Um, But (laughs) as always, I really look forward to these guest episodes, and I love just hearing other people's thoughts and conversing. I mean, isn't that what life's all about? I think we can all agree that The Crucible is an important tale to talk about, especially right now. So thank you, Sandy, for joining us on this special conversation. Thank you guys for having me. This was so much fun. I'm glad. Yes, so now we're going to be announcing our next episode, which I think will be the finale of our first season. So to announce the upcoming episode, we are going to be talking about... Noah and Allie from The Notebook, (laughs) quite a different couple than the one we talked about today. (laughs) Um, These two are so adorable and they depict an everlasting love of sorts. So, of course, this is where we wanted to end our season. We hope you'll join us to talk about Noah and Allie. And we would love to hear from you all if you want to send in comments or join. Please reach out over social media or email us at weshipitpodcast at gmail.com to get involved or send some ideas our way. We would love to hear from you. Yay. Yes, please reach out. And if you like the podcast, please like, rate, and review wherever you listen. We would love to hear from you and your thoughts and just what we're doing right, doing wrong, or whatever thoughts you have about any of the couples we're talking about. And... With that, we end our episode. Thank you so much, Sandy, for joining us and to our listeners. See you next time. Go forth and do not sign your name to lies. (laughs) See you all.